And today we have uh, two, not one, but two special guests for uh, <laughs> February is Fincher Month. Uh, let me, I need to, it's been a while since I've done a Fincher. Um, Rian, you've just been on talking about Panic Room. Uh, you'll be on uh, again. Nice. You'll be on again, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Um, and you will be on again, much to your chagrin, we will find out, for The Girl of the Dragons of 2011. Um, when I first posted about the Fincher movies that people wanted to do, um, you said Zodiac, and then I kind of wrote you into the other three. <laughs> um, we, um, but Zodiac was the movie that you actually wanted to do. Dear Editor, this is the murderer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman and the girl on the 4th of July. I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. He wants his code in the afternoon edition. Ray Smith, don't you have a cartoon to finish? The Zodiac Killer has come to San Francisco. Another letter. School children make nice targets. He gave himself a name. Greek. Morse code, astrological signs. This guy's used them all. I like killing people because man is the most dangerous animal of all. How does one do that? I like puzzles. I do them a lot. Got any hard suspects? About uh, 90 an hour. I'm up to around 500. You got four crime scenes. Not a single usable print. Um, so before we introduce David, um, why in particular Zodiac? What, what, what makes Zodiac... Um, the picture that you want well to um yeah it was my elective but i hadn't actually uh sat down and watched it all the way through um, until i elected to i just i was really interested in the background i love a biopic i love stuff mm -hmm. that is rooted in real history um i love a thriller so it just seemed a bit of me um and it was you can't think of this case in normal police terms. He's breaking the pattern. Lana said you were a cartoonist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing at a gun range? I just want to help. What are you, some kind of boy scout? Eagle scout, actually. First class. Oh, I've been thinking. Oh, God, say it wasn't There's no evidence, Robert. What do you mean there's no evidence? You have him seen with the ciphers, the military boot prints, the bloody knife. All circumstantial. Why do you need to do this? Because nobody else will. Dave, you made a mistake! Get away from the window. Paul, are you okay? No. Why'd you do it? You put your face out there for him to see. Hello? Who is this? Zodiac was my job. It's not yours. He's still out there, Dave. Killing is his compulsion. It drives him. It's in his blood. Jeez. What? Squirrels. This is the Zodiac speaking. I have a gun. I can give you a lift to the service station. Indeed, it's, uh, there is no no more bit of me movie than, than Zodiac in this camp when it comes to neurotic, obsessive people, writers, and yeah, <laughs> there is um, yes, uh, very very Zodiac. -y. Do you always go around helping people in the night? I'm not the Zodiac, and if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. 
Are you sure there's nobody else in the house? Uh, I, I actually will call this this watch a be careful what you wish for movie because anytime I watch this or all the president's men, I always go, oh, I, I wish I was making notes and I wish I was making phone calls. And then I had some, then me and David had some news about our lodging and I had to spend an hour and a half making calls and writing down na names and numbers. And I thought, oh no, this isn't as interesting. And like, you're not finding a serial killer. Not as fun as Fincher makes it look, is it? No. <laughs> And um, well, let, let, let's bring David on. David, David, you've just been brought up at the last minute. And, <laughs> however, you did you did watch uh, Zodiac with Rian. Uh, so I so, did. And and this was a second watch for you. Um, yes. Before we enter the world of Zodiac a little bit deeper, uh, let's let's talk about you and Fincher. Uh, what's your relationship? <laughs> your relationship with him? It's a good friend. relationship to uh, David Fincher. Um, I don't know if I necessarily have much of one. Mm -hmm. I do know that he is something of a perfectionist as a director. Mm -hmm. He has um, he has a really kind of interesting style. And I'm gonna absolutely rip off um, a YouTuber that I really like here, but the the Nerd Writer, who really um did a good job of kind of pinpointing exactly like what is it David Fincher does so well, which is a uh, uh, the way his camera work kind of follows his character's movement and just so so perfectly it makes you feel very much like sucked into the world of his films and he makes even mundane things kind of like you were saying just seem so interesting uh which just yeah makes his films just really fun to watch they're they're think pieces they really are but exciting think pieces and yeah just completely fly by to say that this is two hours 40 um there is a director's cut i watched the director's cut that because that's the blu-ray but it's i think that's just all streamers and dvds now because it's only yeah. one it's only one scene and the black uh sound montage is is another minute longer so it's not really a big director's cut but um it's the scene when uh gray smith finds uh avery outside morty's asleep and he and he wakes him up and and that back and forth and back and forth uh which is a lovely lovely great little scene um, but it's just it's just in there. So yes, we are technically talking about the director's cut. But yeah, 162 minutes, and it just just flies by. I had an hour free this morning, and if I didn't have to write um, write two reviews, I I just would have stuck it back on because you do get so wholly sucked into this world. And obsession is a word that we've already mentioned. That is, of course, the key theme of the film. The, the Blu-ray just feeds that obsession. It's got multiple hours <laughs> of documentaries, not only on the making of the film, but also on specifically Arthur Lee Allen, and then just a glorious three-hour mod, uh, three-hour. <laughs> because let's, there is just no way around it. The prep and setup for making this movie for Fincher, James Vanderbilt, the writer, and the producers was basically reopening the case yeah. <laughs> in no yeah. small terms. Yeah re-interviewing every single person who is still alive and there's a lot of talk whether they they thought maybe they could they could figure it out themselves and I guess that's a bit aloof and that's a bit of a that's a bit wry and dry and it is the sort of thing that Fincher <laughs> would say as a joke but there is obviously it's a it's an intensely obsessive case and with any mystery still unsolved 
obviously the big film that this Fincher talks all the time about this being in the same vein as is All the President's Men, one of my favorite films, great newspaper film. And of course, we watch All the President's Men now. We know the big mystery. We know Deep Throat is because, you know, it's 40 years on. It's obviously it was Mark, Mark Felt came forward just before he died, basically to get. No, I'm undermining his legacy, but basically to get some money for the for the movie rights. And then they made the movie and it was terrible. But um, the, the we still have no mystery. And, and it is that sort of thing where I don't think we will ever know. Not for sure. I think, I think what we need now is like a disaster artist style movie about David Fincher making Zodiac and getting just as obsessed. <laughs> that... I think I may cut that out of this podcast because that's a pretty good picture, and, and I don't want that to be. I won't put it out. But that, it is that there was um, a very good episode in this recent series of Inside Number Nine about uh, just an extra, not an extra. He had he had a few lines. It was a day 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 player, and and he had a few lines in a poli police drama, and he basically got sucked into it and tried to figure it out. And it is that thing of if you're gonna go this deep. Of course, the costume, even the costume designer on the documentary was talking. There were times where for heart, long stretches, there would be new script, script drafts coming in and new info. And they'd just sit and talk about that for half an hour rather than talking about the costume. Um, yeah. uh, let's talk about Zodiac in, in a grander scale. So this was my top 15 films of the decade of the 2000s. Let's Ooh. return to this. Of course, it's a purely personal ranking uh but I, I did sort of inform it with legacy anyway uh what lies beneath at 15 14 inglorious bastards 13 american psycho 12 hot fuzz 11 i'll stop immediately the reason i'm bringing this up is because <laughs> zodiac is from 2007 arguably one of the greatest years specifically i think for american film then you add hot fuzz and you just say film but when it comes to Zodiac, Michael Clayton, There Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, and then Ratatouille is very, very good as well. Um, Pinnacle. Pinnacle of the year. Just got to throw in some Pixar there. Sure. When, it, when you look at those four, There Will Be Blood, even five with Michael Clayton, they are like literally five of the most seminal American drama classics that, that will go on for years. I really do feel like 50 years from now, we're going to talk about those five films in the same vein as, as any of the classic 70s films we're talking about now. I, mean, I will just... pause it. You're missing out, um, Bridge to Terabithia. <laughs> yes. Let's not forget Zoe Deschanel singing a song about death the morning after. <laughs> it just in the, we'll just never in the get classroom. Over that. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. Don't be sad. Yeah, well, just, you know, all those movies, they're just, there's such perfect pairings of standout performances from, you know, really some of the best actors mm. America has to offer, I'd say. Um, some fantastic directors, uh, you know, paired with excellent dialogue and really tight, well-paced writing. Um, and, and bleak. Bleak. They very are bleak. very, very bleak. <laughs> <laughs> there oh, will be dark. blood. There will be blood. No country for old men this and less so assassination of jesse james by the coward before because that's a life but but spoilers everybody it's in the title jesse james was killed yeah. <laughs> and uh, yes. all four are these big 
epic, all of them over two hours and, and then some. Not, not No Country, I don't think. I think No Country's two. But big, grand, bleak, very 70s. Yeah, and sort of like character. I mean, they're they're as much as they are like character studies and these bleak observations of kind of the, these individual characters. They're also sort of a, an examination of like the American mythos in a way. Um, and so, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't think it's any surprise that two thousand seven, two thousand eight, we're on the brink. We're on the brink of uh, in England. It was I think it was two thousand nine, but the brink of the collapse. In fact, for a bit, the big the biggest depression we'd had in many 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 years and mm -hmm. um and political because there, there was never it's it's weird to say but watergate happened and then the tail end of the 70s movie wise was all these dark dramas and very paranoid thrillers about government and with 9 11 that was such a devastating thing that the next couple of years kind of became a happiness period when it came to film. It was a focus on old Hollywood. It was a return to going to the movies as an escape. So we never got, and, and, and obviously it was what everybody needed, but we never got that really dark period of film examining, um, you know, you can stand back from 9-11 and say, sounds terrible, but an examination of hubris. It was, it was an attack on American hubris and and um capitalism and obviously definitely there will be blood that's of course what there will be blood is it's an exploration of of american capitalism and i mean certainly following immediately after 9-11 there was almost this idea of you know, we all need to come together and there is no room for criticism essentially um it was a very sort of nationalistic period and i think as 2008 came around the 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 sort of patriotic fervor of like let's come together and go get the terrorists kind of feeling that a lot of americans had at the time had begun to wane i think by 2007 2008 which is why i think you see this emergence of these darker grittier films that kind of examine and maybe pick apart a little bit the american mythos i mean i mean all it's all over zodiac in the um kind of the failures of like american policing and uh like the the failure to uh, uh, race racism within the police department um and the failure to communicate you know these this important information all because of hubris essentially on the hands of you know various investigators spread out across the country it's all there um i've got a single i i we make notes and, and um one of my single minutes i've just called jurisdiction and it's the, the <laughs> one of my favorite, and, and it's and so infuriating is calling back and forth with Mullinex and then and Mulroy in, in Vallejo and Napa and just, well, no, we haven't got facts. Okay, well, we need this. And if you're going to give us this, then you're going to give us this. And yeah. just that painful jurisdiction. Bickering is, over yeah. who gets the caller, who gets the info, who's going to like this guy first. And ultimately, they're just tearing each other down. And I mean, good God, the. Um, the two beat officers who are after the murder of the taxi cab oh, yeah. driver essentially drive right past a man wearing a dark jacket, walking down the street in the middle of the night, soaked in blood. And because he's not a black man, they don't yeah. stop him. Uh, because a small child just, through a window first. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, 
so let's and then in we our first part of call is box office rundown because i've also pulled up the box office for there will be blood and no country for old men because spoilers for oscar travesty zodiac is just nowhere to be seen zodiac kind of fell through the cracks there will be blood made its money back and then some uh, it had a budget of 25 million eventually worldwide made 76 million pretty good for a bleak two-hour 40 drama uh, I've not got the budget here for uh, No Country for Old Men, but that made extensive amounts of money, 170 million. Uh, I haven't got the budget, but I, I think, again, around the 20 million mark. Um, obviously, that was boosted by that then winning No Country, uh, Best Picture. But uh, yeah, Zodiac, budget 65 million, of course. It's a huge, huge film, and it only made 84 million. Uh, 33 domestic, uh, 51 international. Why in particular do you think, because on the surface, beyond the ending, not, not quote unquote giving you any closure, not giving you anything, on the surface, for me, to the average audience, Zodiac's the most accessible of those three films. No Country mm -hmm. for Old Men is a, a, is an exceptional... I mean, all, of, all three of these are 10 out of 10 movies. I could watch them every day. But No Country for Old Men is a great thriller, but is deeply philosophical. And when it comes to the final half an hour, more or less becomes a bunch of old men coming to terms with the fact that they're going to die. Mm -hmm. And There Will Be Blood is this expansive, philosophical, um, artistic, uh, broader thing. Zodiac is more or less the prestige 10, 10 hour miniseries is that we've been cr watching uh, for the past um, five, eight years now. So why yeah, do you think that didn't make the money? It's interesting that you like bring up a miniseries because I think in recent years, this kind of thirst for um, kind of detective-y dramas and mm. like documentaries as well have, have kind of soared. You know, you've got Making a Murderer and all that. Uh, kind of thing which is like shot up in popularity because people binge them and they go all the way through and I think it's something that you don't see as much with films because it's something that you have to kind of stay connected with all the way through it's not as kind of bite-sized so it's, it's interesting I think if it had come out maybe more recently Maybe it would have gotten like more raving reviews off the bat. Yeah. Well, uh, this, I think this also does, oh, sorry, there we go. No, you're fine. Uh, I think also, like you were saying, it was a standout year for film in general. Mm -hmm. um, so it could simply be a case of it just got swallowed up mm -hmm. in the mess of just really, really good films that were coming out at the time. Um, and maybe particularly to Americans, I think we tend to grab towards heroes and exceptional individuals um and it, no country for old men although it does eventually devolve into a bunch of old men kind of coming to terms with death there are the the traditional macho men kind of heroes that are out there doing manly things and you don't necessarily get that in zodiac the macho men manly heroes that you would normally gravitate to are shown to be kind of inept mm -hmm. uh, in catching this guy they're shown they to like kind of get ruined by the end <laughs> yeah by the end it's three fucking like years that. bullet are you gonna catch this guy or what yeah and, and that sort of that macho hero trope is shown to be kind of yeah in, impotent in this case and i don't know i think for americans who like that 
like to gravitate towards that they might they might have you know lost some appeal for some people there well it's just that great the great scene where they go watch dirty harry and obviously dirty harry was influenced the the scorpio killer in in dirty harry with the letters and the uh, in particular they took the shooting element for dirty harry and just mark ruffalo toshi just can't watch it because he's just like this isn't true you know in the amount of bullshit i have to go through with handwriting and and dirty harry just shoots them (laughs) and obviously that's that (laughs) film and that's you know that's its own, and and now Dirty Harry is now sort of had a rebirth with with analytical and people returning to it, uh, looking at it as an exploration of that sort of uh, toxic masculinity in the police department and that sort of uh, the dangers of <clears throat> uh, taking justice into your own hands. Uh, but of course, it does still end with him killing the killer. So the, you know, so it can't for me. I've never understood that sort of looking back on Dirty Harry in that way. Because at the end of the day, come the final twenty minutes, and the killer's about to kill all these kids. Yeah, we want we want we're rooting yeah, for Dirty no Harry to shoot him. Yeah, no one's watching Dirty Harry to yeah. see the masculine stereotype like not play through to the you know its yeah. natural conclusion. You know, uh, he he shot him in the stomach. That's evidence. Have, have I met you before? I don't know who you are. <laughs> Very good. Uh, YouTube comments. Enough of those. Let me drive. Get in. I haven't eaten in twenty four hours. Coming or not? July, how many shirts are you wearing? I'm cold. You're cold on the 4th of July. Fuck up and die! What? Fuck up and die? (laughs) Shut up. The Zodiac has probably watched this movie himself. So if it's, this is a theory, if Adley Allen isn't the Zodiac, then most likely he will have seen it. It's a pretty haunting. That's interesting. <laughs> well, the thing that puts the bad taste in my mouth, I guess, about like when I watch this movie is that in the end, the Zodiac won. He got everything he wanted out of these people. He got all the notoriety, all of the attention. 
uh, you know, he got to feel like he was smarter than everybody else and he got away with it. He, he won, you know, the bad guy won. Um, and that's kind of the, you know, that's, that's the thing that leaves a bad taste in your mouth is that even as you sit there intellectually watching this, like, you know, you, you know, there's a possibility the guy is out there watching this movie and eating it up because it's everything he wanted. Of course, we're only feeding that with a three hour movie. And, uh, and, and obviously, <laughs> uh, after watching lots of Marvel movies, my brain is thinking there are Iron Man, the Hulk and Mysterio solving a murder case. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Bring that into this. From the director of Seven and Panic Room. Good thing they didn't break the first two rules. Very funny there, Drake. Uh, my favourite film of all time. Have yet to see a movie that beats Zodiac. My personal favourite, Robert Downey Jr. movie 2. Um, I think when I step back, I probably have to agree. Robert Downey Jr. is getting to do what Robert Downey Jr. does best and be charismatic yeah. and brilliant and a tortured you know writer by the end um <laughs> first time as well because this is and then uh iron man's 2008 so mm -hmm. he's in here he's being a profane alcoholic uh version obviously of what we get in 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 iron man um for my sins i'm a big fan of chaplin <laughs> i watched <laughs> i watched chaplin a lot as a kid and uh, i enjoy i enjoyed chaplin However, did rewatch it recently and thought, oh, that's oh, then as good as that was. Didn't hold up. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, oh, he was in the Richard the Third movie. Yeah, no, I think this probably is my favorite. It's definitely my favorite Robert Downey Jr. movie f film, the film that he is in. However, it probably is one of my favorite performances of him as well. I, I, we, uh, apart from Tropic Thunder, we all know, of course, I, I'm not a big <laughs> Marvel fan. I, I'm that. I'm not on that train. Uh, it has to be said. <laughs> You're a Sherlock Holmes fan? Yes, yes, me and Will have just, uh, yes, me and they, they'll be, no, they've already come out. Or have they? No, they will be coming out. I don't know how the schedule works. But I'm yes, no, we are. I think possibly because this movie was, because I think Robert Downey Jr. is very good at playing the charismatic Robert Downey Jr. Type. And mm -hmm. um, this movie, I think, came before that became his shtick. Uh, at least with Marvel uh, being having played iron man for so long having played you know tony stark for so long it's sort of become his image is just the charismatic guy who flaunts the rules and i think this came before that became sort of played out maybe a little bit for him well this is my big thing is i'll i'll, I'll just have this we'll have this now i just want to see what robert downey jr's career would have looked like in a world where marvel didn't exist Think of all the interesting dramas, or even moving into the comedy that we that we could have had. The Judge is by no means an excellent film, but I would still watch The Judge and find, and it's more interesting to me than Iron Man Three. I know that I am not the only person in this camp, but I am. There is it is a very small camp. Someone um, he did with um, Zach Galifianakis. Due date. Um, Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a far filthier version of uh, playing strains and armor bills. Yeah, I, I think I, I think due date is due another watch. I haven't watched due date literally since it came out, but I, I, I am a big hangover guy again for my sins. Um, which takes us. Oh, that's it for YouTube comments. Which takes us into the actual. Oh no, no, I tell a lie because we may love this movie, but lots of people didn't. This is the Katrina Unit one star review corner. 
named after Christina Unit, who came up with it. Z- Zodiac. <laughs> Boring. Nothing happens. Nothing. If you're a David Fincher, martyr, you'll make yourself like it regardless. No amount of reviews will be able to sway your opinions. Over two and a half hours? What was gained from that? Other than making it dreadful to watch in one sitting. Hence, I broke it up into three nights at about 45 minutes of pop. It's really hard for it to hold your interest at all. I just want to see explosions. I mean, Tom and I debate pretty much every episode about what constitutes as a long film. Because (laughs) you kind of say, oh, "Oh, it flies by. I thought this one was slow, but it was necessarily slow. Okay. Like, because, yes, because it's this slog throughout years and years without anything substantial to kind of tip things in their favor or, you know, somebody makes a mistake and they have to return to the drawing board. It's, it's supposed to be painstaking. Mm. And yet I still think it is engaging. So while it didn't really fly by for me, I felt like it was, it was needed. And I think like, I mean, was this reviewer expecting them to change the past? (laughs) You know, we know that they, we know that there was no, you know, big revelation. We know they don't find him. Yeah, but for people that don't know that, for instance, my mum, we watched this movie <laughs> and it ended and she just went, yeah, have it a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> like, we watched it. Same with Perfect Storm. Spoilers. Perfect Storm is based on a true thing. Everybody dies on that boat. Me and my mum watched it one night. She didn't know that they all died. And she went, oh my God. Oh my God. She just couldn't believe that they'd killed George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg. Uh, love, love the perfect song. Wolfgang Peterson, one of the most underrated directors of all time. Das Boot, Air Force One, uh, the Poseidon remake, which is fine. <laughs> um, and uh, In the Line of Fire, great movies. Tedious, a... oh, sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead. Tedious, lifeless presentation of evidence and dead ends. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you've got, they nailed it. Uh, it is, it, it, I think, like Rian said, it's, it's the story of a pensive, obsessive investigation that went over years and had no conclusion, really. Uh, it just kind of petered out. And that might not be satisfying or exciting, but it is the story. It's the story of what obsession does to people, I think. Um, and yeah, that might not make it's, it. I think there's a tendency for people to want action and explosions and car chases and shootouts and all that good gung-ho masculinity that we were talking about. And it's just not there in this movie. I think also it's the matter of, we don't have like, because it is real. And Robert Graysmith released a great book and has a healthy, happy life as we know. David Toshi again, after his retirement, had a lovely, healthy life. Obviously Avery succumbed to his alcoholism, but we, we can't have the ending of the conversation where Gene Hackman is laid distraught in the middle of his apartment, having ripped up his entire apartment because this obsession has torn him apart. We can't have Graysmith, like, we can't have the really, really nihilistic, firm, cut-to-black ending of it completely devouring his life. Because, again, that's not what happened. They, David Toshi says, no, write your book. Real life doesn't always have climaxes, you know? Mm. Um Sometimes things just end. <laughs> and I think part of what was explored with the movie is sort of when do you let go? 
of something. Mm -hmm. um, when is the right time to say enough is enough and this is taken up and it might not be finished. It might not have concluded. I might not have gotten the answer I wanted, but I have to move on. And frankly, I really needed that end card of Robert is doing okay. He's got a healthy relationship with his kids because we are him. You know, he's the audience POV. Like we, we want above all, you know, knowing that he can't turn back the clock and like save all these victims. Like we want to at least know that he hasn't ruined his own life over this. Until David Fincher came and said, I want you to bring it all back up and help us yeah. make this movie. <laughs> and Grace Smith was there like most of the days and he helped with the script and, and, and he was in completely. Can I help you? No. Uh, yawn the first movie is better so they are basically talking about a movie called the zodiac from 2005 which is a complete fictionalization uh none of the names they have to change every single name because none of the real life people signed off on it they have to change all the place names they can't even say vallejo they have to call it like murders montoy or something and it's just Completely dreadful, terrible. Nobody's in it apart from Philip. Philip Baker Hall's in it again. Uh, we love Philip Baker Hall. Um, uh, Justin Chambers from Grey's Anatomy is in it. <laughs> <laughs> this is true, uh, but yes, no. It's one of those straight to DVD movies, and so I, I haven't seen The Zodiac, but I can only imagine that it isn't as good as uh, Zodiac. And it, it has the audacity to have based on true events on the poster. <laughs> It has the audacity to say that whilst giving us such names as Matt Parrish, Dale Coverling, Jim Martinez, Frank Perkins. I've just seen the, um, the tagline as well. The most infamous serial killer of our time, dot, 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 is still out there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Arguably that... <laughs> not, though. Like, you can't refutably say that. That's the point. It's 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 the big it's the divide between I, I there was a I don't remember who said it but there was um, somebody was talking the other day about sort of movies in general and uh, they they said something along the lines of you'd rather watch a three hour movie where a bunch of men sit around talking and being sad and nothing happens um, uh, yes I would <laughs> it's yeah. like yes yes I want that good dialogue I want 
you know, that's, I want that rich story material. And yes, it might not be, it might not jump off the screen at you with and be in your face with action. But again, it's just, it's, that's not what it's about. And I think people like, I think in modern Hollywood, we've sort of lost that appreciation for things that aren't spaced and in your face and filled with explosions and car chases and that sort of thing. Um, uh, let's get into the body of the film. Uh, we break things down 10 minute stretch and single minute. Let's start with 10 minute stretch. I'll, I'll do my nominations and then see what we missed. Um, arrival of the first letter and the minutia of that of the Chronicle uh, newsroom and Graysmith on the outskirts just happening to be there and do you have a cartoon to finish and sending him out and getting that first letter and bringing us into that into this world i think is just exceptionally uh well done uh shout at me if we have any overlap uh then we have napper which is one of the most i think is certainly the the most upsetting uh of the of the killings can't uh, watch that one <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty pretty rough there's a very there's a there's an early decision that was made in the script writing process and the filmmaking process that they weren't going to show any of the killings or suspected killings where everybody died because then they'd have to make things up. And I think fundamentally there is an immense respect that is evident in every element of this film for everybody involved and everybody who unfortunately passed. Um, and, it never, and yeah, the, the very few, the moments of violence that are in the movie never feel gratuitous to me. I always feel like it's, it's handled pretty, I mean, it's brutal mm. and um, rough to watch, but it's honest, I think. Um, mm. And it doesn't feel like they went over the top for the effect, essentially. No, um, again, you don't, you don't have the, in, in real life, uh, Catherine Johns jumped from the cow carrying the baby on, on the side of a turnpike. And that would be an exceptional car chase. And David Fincher on the commentary was talking about how, yeah, I'd love to shoot that, but it's not what the story's about. It's all about the aftermath. And it's all about, you get an immense, more and more fear and horror from the line, before I kill you, I'm gonna throw your baby from the car than you ever could yeah. with, with a tense, Again, I will never turn down a tense David Fincher car chase. Go with the drink to two ending. Get that motorbike. Just get it through that. Oh, she's done it. Oh. But um, no, no, it's it's all about the aftermath. Prime example, there are no murders after the 45 minute mark. And it's a two hour, 45 minute movie. And I think uh, especially with that line about the baby from the window, I think it's a perfect sort of like Hitchcock's um, bomb under the table kind of thing because I remember my first time watching it that line happens you fade to black and the next scene you see is the mother standing alone in the street and all I could think my first time watching that was like good god did he throw the baby from the car basically and until she brings that child out you're just sitting there in absolute tension because all you see is her standing there obviously distraught and all I could think is where's the baby um, uh, and then you know she brings the baby out and the child turns on. But I mean, all that tension would have been gone if you had just seen a scene of a car chase and you know a child thrown from the window. It'd be awful, but there would be no tension. I think the effect would have lost, certainly. It leaves, it leaves much more foreboding, I think, uh, and makes the Zodiac 
killer seem much more menacing when you don't see exactly what happened. Uh, then I've got Melvin Belli uh, meeting Brian Cox and that lovely uh, again. It's hard to it's hard to space out your ten minute stretches in your single minutes, uh, but the Melvin Belli section, bringing him in for this interview, uh, Brian Cox obviously on excellent form and uh, doing great work and and uh, a touch of flamboyance, Sam mm. Sam, and uh, and that horribly unsettling uh, call in interview. Um, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Uh, and of course, yeah. spoilers, the best 10 minute stretch is undoubtedly meeting Artley Allen for the first time uh, in that, in just one of the most seminal scenes, I think, of the, of the, of the decade is the, initial, uh, is the initial interview of Allen in his workplace in the break room and everything just falling into place so perfectly. <laughs> that it, it can't be or can it be and everything the watch the shoe I, i'm gonna ruin one of my specific favorite parts uh, those knives i had in my car just why what the awkwardness the bizarreness of bringing it up and and and, and there's just no and, the, and then you go wait a minute why is there still another hour 20 and that is yeah. of course the glorious the glorious marvel of of the film um four left the no three left cinema man just going full horror and full leaning into it uh with a bit of a wink and a nod i feel uh with with the um peter wiley character the the bob vaughn looking for um the second killer the second the max now oh god i forget the names but um the when he's when he's moving off of alan and he's moving on to this other guy who maybe wrote on the posters he goes, no, I do the posters myself. And just that complete switch and rook pull is, 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 is delightfully uh, suspenseful and uh, wonderfully, wonderfully done. Uh, and then into, into that sort of final diner. And again, I've just put open brackets, Alan, exclamation mark. And just the laying out all and doling of all this information and there's nothing to be done go home write your book just that, let it go that's it, let it go. that's all there is mm -hmm. to it um have i missed anything uh rian um david spot glimpse behind the curtain don't look at the man behind the curtain david hasn't managed to make notes because <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't able to do this but rian <laughs> on your front am i missing any 10 minute stretches um, I see. I also had reaction to the first letter. I think we were discussing how just clever it was setting up each character and how in their own kind of ways, they were just inequipped to deal with this. Um, I also have, I've just written Rob Goes Rogue uh, with <laughs> Grace Smith uh, kind of hitting all these various spaces and, and trying to convince them of his like jurisdiction and, you know, because he's got just the best intentions and mm. yet nobody will let him even get a look in for ages because he's, he's just a cartoonist. He's not an official um, authority. Um, and then we also had the journalism slash connecting the dots montage with um, Paul and Rob in their different corners. Yeah. The full of shit, artist. the full of shit montage. Whereas, yeah, yeah, 
He goes, it's full of shit. <laughs> Gets the, the watch ad. And we just really break it because we spent an entire hour building up this mythology, building that's for me. Spot, I think there was, I really do think it was a matter of copycats. I really, I don't think Catherine Johns was the Zodiac killer, uh, was a Zodiac killer killing. I do think it's a matter of those first shirt letters, shall we call it, and those first killings was the same person. And then from that point on, I really do think it was a matter of. Um, could be anyone. Yeah, well, that's again, it could be anything. I'm reading into this and that. <laughs> Just because I, I, I watched a couple of documentaries. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly what part it was, but there's sort of a, a portion of the movie kind of about... I don't know, maybe about 45 minutes to an hour in where it just starts to show the myriad of letters that have been sent in and yeah. the just constant newspaper reportings on it. Um, and I was sitting there thinking that it's kind of a condensed version of sort of what the internet does nowadays mm -hmm. where the Zodiac went from being this terrifying menace that had, you know, it's all over the front page and it's just happened to everyone just gets inundated with these constant killings and constant letters and it becomes just a blur. And I think people, it, it causes everyone but our POV character basically to lose interest over time because it becomes less sensational and more just on as another Zodiac killing. Um, and just kind of how I think the, the, our POV character in um, Graysmith, it just kind of becomes, he, he's the only one still into it because it's about the puzzle and the compassion for the victims for him. Whereas all the journalists were after it for the story and all the police officers were after it for the collar. And once both of those things are no longer on the table, everyone starts to drop off except for our character who's motivated by compassion. This is great business for everyone but you. A yeah. Avery just shuts him down. Well, not shuts him down, yeah. but says to him, says it to him straight. And um, I was re-watching the Halloween 2018 reboot and there was in the sort of a dry sort of throwing away of the of throwaway line talking about how, yeah, no, four people died in the in the 70s, you know, basically they're, they're not that crude about it, but alluding to mass shootings that happen nigh on weekly, definitely monthly, unfortunately, in America, and just the immense amount of murder that was occurring in these big cities in the 70s and 80s before definitely in New York before it got cleaned up. Um, and, and Toshi says to Graysmith, he says, do you know how many people have died, how many murders there have been since the first Zodiac letter? And the only difference between Zodiac and some other killer just mindlessly killing or, you know, is that he sent a few letters. Mm -hmm. And that myth starting up and that, machine that we know oh so well uh Reen, any any other 10 minute stretches uh i think that yeah that's all we came up with mm -hmm. uh which takes us into tom's weirdly specific favorite part of the film second shot of the movie just a glory literally the second shot <laughs> this incredible pan across the fourth of july night time mm -hmm. it's so easy i think this is the thing that gets me with fincher and i and with all those prestige sort of directors nowadays is it's not necessary. That is just not necessary at all. The, for instance, the, another spoiler, Seattle, uh, the Seattle tower montage set to the Marvin Gaye song that cost a million, the CGI and the editing of that 
But, and it, again, it's not necessary. You could have just had mm. one year later. But through those perfect visualizations, it makes the film what it is. And I am oh, yeah. so glad that we have people who have earned enough clout uh, and have made enough hits that they can do these things, that they can do, that we can get that Seattle Tower montage. Yeah, um, same with um, like the big sweeping pan on the Golden Gate Bridge. That was mm, one of mine. Yeah. And obviously in like conjunction with Zodiac moving into San Francisco, but it's just like this epic yeah. kind of sweeping shot. Uh, then I have um, Zaroff with a Z. And, it, and it's sort of a bit cute. And because we're all because we're in the first 20 minutes and it's like, oh, wow, Zaroff with a Z. Oh, my God. And it sort of feels like a law and order first ad break. And we mm. even we even fade to black. We even fade to black and move up before we move on to the next killing. And I just feel like that is so cute and so perfect for then where we're going to end up in an hour and a half where we literally have to list 80 things and it's still not going to be enough. Whereas at that moment, we're so hopeful for this mystery and we're like, oh, they both start with a Z. <laughs> um, whoever this is, you're going to have to buy me a new lamp. Excellent stuff. Um, eerie, eerie first phone call. I, I've done them out of order. Goodbye. That The elongation is terrifying. <laughs> um, good bit of Brian Cox. Well, you sure know how to throw a secret meeting. Um, one of my favourite Graysmith um, I read, I enjoy books that's the same thing hilarious uh, when they start coming for Avery David, I want a gun I enjoy that, uh, the knives in my car I've already talked about Out of Focus Mulroney, which might be my new punk band, but when they're, <laughs> when they're threatening Toshi and they think that he sent the letter and, um, and he does the graduate gag of, of being out of focus and just Coming into focus, we need to talk. And it's that thing of, oh, no, not something else. Uh, one of my real favourite moments, you were really, you were talking about it earlier, Ian, uh, with, with the kids, um, not the kids, sorry, with people shutting down and leaving it. And the only person that we see get away is Anthony Edwards, is um, Toshi's partner from the first hour and a half. Uh, played by the wonderful Anthony Edwards uh, Goose from Top Gun, and um, he leaves. And um, it's it, it's weird in many ways when you watch it on a first watch because we stay with it for like the shot for a good minute of him putting his arm around his wife and going into his home. And on first watch, you're like, oh, but okay, that's that's nice. Why are we? But on multiple watches, you realise that's it. That's the last time we're going to see him. And he's the only one that's going to get away. And and later on, um, when they're talking about uh, when the Belli's, um housekeeper is like, well, no, I think they mentioned it to my partner. And he goes, oh, can I have his number? No, he is out. He doesn't want to pass this. And Toshi is so respectful of not bringing somebody else into this deep, deep labyrinth. Uh, just a great, the kids special project. <laughs> Very much enjoy that. And then uh, salt and pepper shaker is 50 yards. How do you know that? I've walked it. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Rian David, specific, those tiny little things, those tiny little things that make the film uh, work for you. Um, I really just like 
from like a visual perspective, I really like the coloring in the opening with all like the yellows and browns. I think it sets up like the ear up really well. Um, and those glorious firework punches of color. Yeah, it, yeah, lovely. Um, <laughs> when Rob and Paul first go for a drink and he's got that fruity little a cocktail with the, and he's like taking the umbrella out of it. I love that. Um, what are you, some kind of Boy Scout? Eagle Scout, actually, first class. It's him. How sure are you? You can be sure. You had a round face like this guy. Wait, am I to understand that you're now identifying the second photograph? No, I'm just, just said you had a round face like that. All right. Now, on a scale of one to ten, ten being positive, how sure are you? <clears throat> At least an eight. Last time I saw this face was July fourth, nineteen sixty-nine. I'm very sure that's the man who shot me. Um, and seeing like the slow deterioration, like you said, of uh, Graysmith's house, as it just becomes like this, you know, hoarder's haven of files. It's just, it's just great because it, it's so like indicative of his life. Hoarder's haven. For me, uh, a lot of. Yeah, a, a lot of um, what makes David Fincher's movie so great for me is just, just perfectionist camera work and the way he follows the movement of his characters. There's a shot um, with Robert Downey Jr.'s character and uh, he's watching the television, uh, the interview um, that, that was broadcast with the Zodiac Killer. Um, it mentions you know, the killing of the children on the school bus and he just says, perfect. And the camera, and he goes to sit down in his chair slides across to his desk and settles into type, right? And the camera does just a perfect job of following him down, speeds up with him as he slides across and then settles with him as he comes down to the typewriter. And it just like, you feel like you're moving with him. And I mean, Finch is just so good at that. Um, and frankly, plus, it helps Toshi's with, setup. as we talked about, oh, sorry, sorry. I'm just saying, frankly, that sort of movement no, 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 and no. that sort of kinetic energy in the visual sense, not just in the script, is for some people makes it fly by. Uh, yeah, that's so what draws David's me interest. in. Really, yeah. it's, it gives it momentum. Um, and also, just uh, the setup of Toshi, this, the way they set up Toshi's relationship with his partner. Mm. Um, uh, the, the, the lamp, you know, you owe me a new lamp, uh, or let me describe to you the kind of lamp you're going to be buying me. Uh, line, but then when they get to the crime scene and he finds out that it's his, you, you get this sense that they're they have a rapport and they've been working together for a while. Then someone wishes his partner happy birthday at the crime scene. He says, oh, it's your birthday? Happy birthday. Uh, and his partner asks, uh, scene or body? He says, it's your birthday. I'll take the body. <laughs> also, it's just a perfect just sort of great, set. great exposition in the script for, ne- for, the, for half an hour later, happy birthday. And, we, and that's an interesting thing that we've learned before. So it sticks in our mind and it just saves him going, it's been a year and we've not found anything. It's been a whole year. <laughs> It's been a year and eight months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, he does yeah. such a good job 
of just setting those little details up so that you just really feel the passage of time. Um, yeah, sorry. It's a pretty good right Never apologize. It's an excellent, excellent film. Uh, any other specific <laughs> favorite parts for Ian before we uh, move on to Soundtrack Corner? Uh, I think that's it for me. Fair enough. Soundtrack Corner. We split this up. Best use of a song and best song full stop. I think almost undoubtedly Hurdy Gurdy Man by Donovan is a song that will haunt me for my entire life. Um, yeah, I had that down for favourite songs. And I suppose best use because it's just the chilling like cards at the end. And it's just a glorious um, I fell into a bit of fell into a bit of a, a school rabbit hole because mm. um, just like I love just the underscoring of certain moments. There's um, a piece called Graysmith Obsessed and it's just, you know, like the plucking of the strings as he's like looking back over all these files um, from like Vallejo and everything. And it's just perfect. Yeah, I, I, I like Soul, Soul Sacrifice by Santana, bringing us into that newsroom early on. Uh, and then and then another big one I previously mentioned, the Marvin Gaye use of Inner City Blues with the Seattle Tower. However, uh, overall, I think you, you'd be hard pressed to, obviously there's 20 songs thrown at us, but the, and I don't know if it's bizarre, but sitting in darkness, complete darkness for three minutes, and sounds and images, uh, no, no images, sounds and music and these songs, and then suddenly, four years later. Sam? Uh-huh? We're not tracing these calls, you have my word. Okay. Sam, you need to tell me what your problem is. I don't want to go to the gas chamber. I have headaches, I kill, I don't get them. That is fucked up. You want to live, don't you? Well, this is your passport. How long have you been having these headaches? Since I killed a kid. I don't want to be hurt. Why is he calling? I don't want to hey, go to the gas second. chamber. You won't get hurt if you talk to me. You're not going to the gas chamber. I wouldn't think they would ask for capital punishment. We should ask the district attorney. Do you want me to do that, Sam? Do you want me to talk to the district attorney? <laughs> What was that, Sam? I did not say anything. We heard a scream. That was my headache. You sound like you're in a great deal of pain. My head aches. I'm so sick. For me, that really was a moment uh, on the first time I ever watched this film where where on a dime, I thought, yeah, we're past it now. We are in, I mean, visually, we are in the darkness. We, there is no way out. There is no way out. It's pretty, pretty brutal one, stuff. One interesting thing I'm just kind of reading here now uh, is that originally David Fincher didn't want to have um, an original score for the movie hmm. and wanted to use exclusively music and sounds from the periods um, where the killings were taking place. Um, but eventually they just had some, you know, some spots that needed music, uh, mm. essentially, uh, and that they did some writing for. And I'm just reading here, they had uh, 12 Signs of the Zodiac, um, and all the original music that they use, they use only 12 notes, which they alter mm. or pitch up and down slightly to sort of uh, just, you know, they sort of manipulate them, but they only use 12 notes for all the original sort of um, music in this, in the film. 
Well, let, yeah, now let's let's bring up the, the glorious David Shire. I mentioned the conversation earlier, the, the, the movie where Jay, Jay Hatman ends up on the floor. But um, of course, David Shire wrote the music for that and, and he wrote the music for this and he wrote the music for many uh, excellent 70s thrillers. And obviously uh, there is no movie that it's emulating more than, uh, than this. Um, tell me when you can see the Oscars from 2008. I see a black screen. Uh, I see a black screen. I see the Oscars. Uh, it'll, 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 I'm, it's, it's slow. It's a slow computer. Um, <laughs> oh. Oh, I don't know. Uh, in the meantime, whilst it's low, uh, let's move on to uh, our next piece, which is Will's favourite building on set. Will is no longer with us. However, we can call it the Will Legator uh, building or set uh, category. Uh, any particular, I don't really, I think, again, you can just shout out the wonderful San Francisco Chronicle office that was recreated yeah. to the newspapers, piles of the exact newspapers that would be there that year and that week, uh, that, that level of, um, of specificness is uh, rather astounding, uh, one would have yeah. to. Um, any anything anything else we would like to say in this in this regard? Um, one thing I really liked about the, the just the the use of the chronicler office was just how busy it is. Kind of to you, you see it become gradually more and more empty and deserted. I think as uh, time goes on, uh, and uh, there's a moment. Oh, I think your screen popping up there. Oh my um, word! But just uh, there we go. Uh, just, yeah, the use of the San Francisco Chronicle office, really nothing more to add there. It's just a fantastic set piece that they have there. I think we already touched on, like, the, you know, effectiveness of, like, the real-life landmarks as well. Mm. You know, great job on that bridge. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> bridge, and they built, the they built it for the film. No. Um, Again, we're going to we're going to we're going to bump a category forward whilst we whilst we wait for Oscar Travesty to load. Um, the let's do best line. I have got mine ready. Um, I mean, for me, I don't, again, spoilers. I don't want to ruin what I think, but uh, it's undoubtedly I am not the Zodiac, and if I were, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Uh, one of the most horrifying, wonderfully delivered. <laughs> things I've ever heard. Um, David, anything immediately jumped into paradox. mind? Yeah. Uh, as somebody who didn't, I didn't take any notes down, uh, no, but yes. the, that certainly what jumps to mind for me is uh, Avery in the bar uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal's character. Uh, what do you like to do? Well, I like to read and I enjoy books. Those are the same things. Uh, it's just great shit. I just love that. It's just so sharp and perfect. Perfectly sets up like the contrast between the two of them, I think. Uh, yes, wonderful stuff. Yeah, Avery's got the best lines. He does. Avery is very um, similar to the character in All the President's Men uh, that Jack Walden plays. And literally, it was a case of William Goldman, the writer of that film, went and stayed at the, uh, the Washington Post for like a couple of months prepping and researching and found very quickly that he was the funniest man in the world and that if he wrote the character anywhere near as witty as he is in real life, people just wouldn't believe it. <laughs> and I get that vibe with a, I get that vibe with Avery. 
Um, any 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 lines, Ream? Um, I really liked the random guy calling into the radio station with uh, what scares me is there's hippies out on the hate with their free love and weird clothes, just <laughs> like in the early stages before this is like so like you know as infamous as it as it became. Um, and then it's just Avery's lines: Jesus, Harold, Christ on rubber crutches, Bobby, what are you doing? Um, and when he realizes that Gray Smith has has made like such advancements, fucking library. <laughs> and, and just the under talking about underscoring the Atari, just ding, 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 ding. Pair that with the kettle boiling, and and it's just. Wonderfully unsettling stuff. Um, Oscar Travesty is not going to load with the screen share, but I can read it aloud. Uh, so best picture, uh, the nominations were No Country for Old Men, Juno, Michael Clayton, There Will Be Blood and Atonement. I can lose Juno. I like Juno a lot. But it's mm. not Zodiac. <laughs> uh, at the end of the day. Uh, I, could, I can keep Atonement, but again, I would prefer The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Todd. Um, I just, I just, for me, it's just baffling that there was just no nominations at all. For, for you, what's the big, what's the biggest travesty there? You, you can only grant one nomination. It might not win, but you can give it one nomination. What, what for you is the biggest uh, miss here? Hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say that any one actor really like stood out as like mm. the you know, the the star player. I think they were all like, they, but then also there wasn't a weak link across yeah, the it's whole cast. a solid cast. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely a group effort, even though you do have like a central protagonist. It's one of those where you want to do like they did in the 70s, where they were just like, yeah, okay, The Godfather's the best film of the year. We'll give three supporting actor nominations. It's just, it's it's one of those. Yeah. Um, not yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. tough. I'd say best score, because mm. I mean, you know, it's like you said, they, they've got that good balance of like underscoring and then actual like pop rock uh, songs from the era. But then it it, it towed the line because it wasn't like gimmicky, I found, because mm. it could have gone very much in one direction where it's like, this is the 60s, how cool. But it didn't It's an incredibly solid screenplay. Um, yes, this is mine. Um, I, I'm I, going to betray my boy say, Fincher. Yeah, I would have to say probably, I mean, either screenplay or possibly cinematography, but I, I, I don't know. There was probably some other standouts that year. That's the tough thing about Zodiac is that it, it, as a whole, mm. it's a solid piece of work. I don't know if there's anything individually you can out as being better than anything else that year, I guess. Mm. Like I, it's a solid, it's a really good film, but I don't know if there's any one standout piece of it that is just better than everything else. The Oscars have now happened. And so all the upcoming episodes where I talk about hashtag mank sweep and even the mank episode with Jay Reef, where I say, please God, let mank win everything. Uh, we now know that that didn't happen. Uh, so <laughs> I, uh, I just, I, I I don't know. Your disappointment is evident. <laughs> oh, well, yes. Um, but I, yeah, I think when we look, because I just, David Fincher may die without an Oscar. And obviously that's means nothing, but it does mean something. And, uh, you know, for weirdos like me, 
for Graysmiths like me who obsess about David Fincher instead of the Zodiac murders. Um, you but, know, what Oscars do point at is what the industry is placing value on at any given yeah. time. And I think what the Oscars can do is really help shape what people place value on in the film industry. The canon, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's a shame when directors like David Fincher don't come away with anything because it, I, I don't know, it, it, I think it affects the way what people go to the movies for. And you end up with more reviews like Zodiac. Because I think as the years go by, it's already a, a held opinion, I think, in movie circles. But the social network losing director and picture and everything to fucking King's Speech was infuriating at the time. And only as years go by and nobody thinks about the King's Speech at all. Um, it's a, the, we hate the Oscars when it is such a tremendous loss like that. For me... Goodfellas is definitely better than Dancers Revolves, but Dancers Revolves is a pretty good film. The King's Speech is so bland, and Social Network is so clearly going to stand the test of time in 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 so many ways. <laughs> I don't know. That's I think as well, like it, uh, this film is definitely very critical of like the system mm. and you know police power and then the negligence and the the human fuck-ups that come along with that and so maybe it was just a case of like they weren't really ready to kind of draw light to that in such a, a formal setting I think maybe again if it had come out now then people would have had a totally different reception and I think it's the Oscars I don't know the, the Oscars and sort of popular media in general, we like to think uh, uh, of, they never, they're never gonna select films that truly poke at the status quo, you know, or mm -hmm. that truly challenge and question it. They like to nominate films that have the image of that and have the idea of challenging the status quo, something that actually drives at that. Speaking of driving, do the right thing, losing to Driving Miss Daisy. Not an actual <laughs> radical classic black film that will stand the test of time already has. No, let's go for Jessica Tandy learning to not be racist because yeah. Morgan Freeman drives her places. Yeah. yeah. I mean, famously, Spackley walked out. And then, because <laughs> obviously that happened again with fucking Black Klansman losing to Green Book. And it was just mm. another radical uh, black led film with that sort of politics losing to fucking Green Book. It just, happens every. If it, it, honestly, switched. <laughs> it should be a mark of honor if your radical film is not uh, does not win or is not nominated for an Oscar because it means that you were really hitting a nerve. <laughs> yes, and uh, and of course, and of course, then uh, Jordan Peele famously had to <laughs> calm Spike Lee down, and I don't know why they didn't release this footage. Uh, I'm very annoyed that they did not. Uh, best single minute, lots, lots. Uh, Ria, why don't you take the lead and then I'll, I'll, I'll fill in if, uh, if sure I feel thing. anything was missed. Um, I really like the introduction to Graysmith, that first like school run and him heading to work. It just, it, it really sets up the protagonist and like his core values in that one simple um, interaction with his son. Um, the radio interviews kind of spliced in all leading up to the cabbie getting shot in the back of the head. I thought that was really tight. Um, Graysmith outside the station in the rain, 
like you can see he's just totally let this consume him and everybody else can see it at this point as well um and him just not letting him into the station uh that was really effective and then uh grace miss seeing lee at the store in 1984 and just that moment that passes between them like i fucking know it's you and just not being able to do anything about it it's good stuff. It's uh, it's good stuff. I'm, I, my camera's gone. I am still here. The uh, yes, no, definitely, definitely. Every moment you've mentioned the star, uh, it's ex it's just truly excellent stuff. Um, and and I think that's the in many ways that's for me the reason it does fly by because it is so many single minutes rather than these episodic half hours and then. Because if it's just, I think it's not a change at all. But I think in many ways, the film seemingly structures itself as Robert Downey Jr.'s hour, Mark Ruffalo's hour, Jake Gyllenhaal's hour. But Jake Gyllenhaal's been there the, the entire time. And, it, and watching it again, it's really not that. It is really Mark Ruffalo and something back and forth and Downey Jr.'s Downey Jr.'s there early on. It, it it really isn't a case of of that. Um, my camera is trying to work. It will work eventually. I'm sure of it. Um, and there I go. But uh, yes, I've I've also got I've, one of my favourite things always stuck with me. FBI, CIA. We've got a code. We're trying to crack the code. It's got three medieval symbols, and then the breakfast nook of. Uh, this history teacher and that's sometimes sometimes how it works jurisdiction as previously mentioned um for me i'm a big fan of facts and so the with them trying to get the warrant against alan and the complete litany and reaming of a fact after fact after fact against alan i mean it's of course infuriating with the with the film that we end up getting but it's just you've you know, it's so nice that you, they've got something. They've got something, uh, which takes us into um, montage of sound, which I've already talked about. Meeting Paul again, the Atari, and again that we haven't seen him in a long time, and that shock. Well, it's not necessarily a shock, but the grey in the hair, the the gauntness, and of course the, the heavy drinking, which we know about. Uh, I love Claire Duval's little scene. Uh, Linda going to see the, going to see the prison, and Grace Smith trying to get out of her, uh, trying to get her to say that it's this guy and it's this. No, it's not. It's Adley Allen, and we're back to Allen, and it's always been Allen all along. And then that final lovely Mike Mike Mujo airport scene, and we think, oh yeah, come on, do that title card, do that title card. What? He died of a heart attack? David Murray could be interviewed? No! No! No, Richard! That's wonderful. Kate McKinnon, <laughs> Kate McKinnon on the Casablanca. No! Richard! Richard! Ooh. I love that. Ooh, I think the other, Ooh. like... <laughs> I think the other, like, specific favourite moment um, off of that was uh, Ten being certain, how sure are you? At least an eight. And it's the fact that, you know, that is pretty certain, but it's just like, it leaves that little, you know, micro 
thing of doubt in the back of people's minds that you know that is the the incriminating thing like they can't like they can't use it they can't it's not substantial enough to do anything and it's just that that too that little too mm. yeah the shot in um the ace hardware uh towards the end where um uh gray smith comes in and sees alan working there and just can i help you with anything no and just mm. that long kind of moment where i think they both realize they both understand like I, I, I know, I can't prove it, but I know. And then Alan's gone. And that's the moment that he can finally let it go is because he's confronted this guy, seen it in his eyes, and now he knows for himself it's enough for him to let it go, basically. Um, that's a just fantastic bit of character work there. And as, as I've mentioned, yes, that's a lovely basement. Not many people have basements in California. I do. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Uh, which takes us into, let's get negative. What's the change? I only have one change, and it's not even a change. The book came out in 1986, so it can't be on the bestseller in an airport, a whole stack of it in 1991. In but that, is, that is just yeah. me being an arsehole. Rian? Yeah. Um, I wrote this after the first watch like months ago and I don't even remember who it's in reference to but I've just got man drives the same car for 15 years <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's the police car maybe it's the police car and then that, like, that's like a police car but you'd still need to like replace it surely I don't know you replace the partner replace the partner yeah um, yeah that was it yeah it's a tight it's a tight movie and Pretty that's perfect. that's the hallmark of a good movie it's um <laughs> There's nothing superfluous in, in here, I don't feel. Mm. Um, everything builds on everything else. And that's the mark of a good movie, I think, is that there is nothing that is out of place, I think. For me, uh, I could watch it again and pick it apart if I really wanted to, but yeah. uh, I don't think I will. Well, that's the thing. I was watching it, looking and trying to pick it apart, and I just couldn't. I put Shire's score in the trailer park. I thought there was a bit ding, ding. I thought that was a bit cute. I thought that was a bit kitschy. But really, no. <laughs> I just... Yeah. I, I, and, and, and this happens sometimes, but I really don't know what's to change. And it's... We, we talked about some of my favourite... We talked about... Well, we literally have talked about my favourite films on here. And there and I have had changes in them. But sometimes you just get a, a, a perfect film and we need to cherish it. Um, just like Madonna. What's left from uh, Rian's notes? Anything left in your notes, Rian? Um, I think just to kind of reiterate what people have already said, like it's just an excellent use of protagonist and like the supporting characters because, you know, you see um, Ruffalo and RDJ, like these kind of cool, like hardened officers, well, not even officers, reporters as well. And then you've got, doughy-eyed Jake Gyllenhaal who never kind of loses that sense of like fascination and like as David said compassion for the cause and the investigation even though you know everything in his life just kind of uproots and turns to ruin around him he never loses that like boy scout you know you, you'd expect him to kind of become hardened and become more like 
similar to the rest of them by the end, but he just doesn't, he doesn't lose it. And I think that's like, it was just such effective writing. Um, going into this, I think going into this, I've been reading some criticism of the, and, and, and found some criticism on the Chloe Savonia character. And it's that thing we've, we've talked about this before. We, we actually talked about it, about one of my own scripts of, of and, and the thing of it's completely justifiable that she's not in it because that is why you need to, you need long stretches. And then you go, oh no, he is still married. To, oh no. Oh, and then she comes back and drops off the divorce papers. And so it's that thing of, and it came a, a lot of fire with the Irishman and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with the lack of dialogue, which is just a stupid thing. Jesus Christ, you're undermining an entire profession saying that if you don't have any dialogue, it's a pointless role. Uh, but uh, it's that thing of the symbolic, uh, the, the women being symbols and we don't actually let them speak. But on this rewatch, I sort of felt a bit of a, a, a especially not reaping what you sow, but Savonier also getting into it. Mm. For the start, immediately from the start, this is the best date I've ever been on. And so they sort of are excited by it and they're into it and they're excited about it. And then, no. <laughs> and she is also kind of thwarted and ruined by this case as well, uh, which I thought was really interesting this time around. Uh, I've also made a note of penne vodka with cream sauce, which I Googled. It's a, it's a pasta with tomato and vodka. Oh, popular in the 80s and that doesn't sound appetizing to me at all but i like vodka we'll i like pasta yeah let's do a zodiac <laughs> party where we all have vodka yeah <laughs> um but yeah i thought like again with the you know the initial thing of find like being sent the letter it was just a really cool insight into how ordinary people negotiate with a terrorist it felt yeah. quite reminiscent of um that black mirror episode national anthem the best black mirror episode where they just go through the logistics of this absolutely absurd concept and you feel just helpless watching them and yet you can't wait for the next development to come mm. um which takes us into a few fun facts the only comments that robert graysmith said about the finished screenplay uh, was god now i see why my wife divorced me <laughs> um, oh poor, poor robert uh, the murder victims' costumes were meticulously recreated from forensic evidence that was lent to production. Uh, chiefly, yeah, the, they just found out that Mike Mergeau was wearing three pairs of jeans and four jumpers. That throwaway line that Darling Ferrin has about, you know, you, it's 4th of July, why are you wearing... And nobody knows what... Pardon me, just nobody knows why. It's just one of those one of those weird things, but that's how specific it was. And so mm. the, the costume department obviously weren't going to make him wear four jumpers. In the middle of in the middle of summer so it's like so specific the collar has other three other collars popped into it and ruffled and that amount of detail it's exceptional and it uh, and it obviously reaps it reaps great benefits the original shooting scripts was 200 pages long and uh this was very similar to uh the situation with social network instead of cutting it he just said the actors need to speak fast <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that's 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 all there is to it. Uh, David Fincher and the screenwriter, uh, we've talked about this, but yes, yeah, spent 18 months conducting research into the Zodiac murders. They interviewed witnesses, family members, suspects, retired and active investigators, the only two surviving victims and the mayors of San Francisco and Vallejo. Um, so we know that David Fincher likes to do tons and tons of takes. So this sort of introduced him, which obviously would 
become a big deal for Curious Case of Benjamin Button. But uh, the, lots of CGI in this. All the blood is CGI. Uh, really? Just so that you, he could shoot 50 takes as he likes to do. And obviously you can't do that if unless you're Kubrick and you're insane and all the 50 blood. different uh, costume changes. <laughs> 77 <laughs> doors he used on The Shining. That's how cuckoo Kubrick, cuckoo Kubrick. Oh, God. Um, here's a few casting ideas. Originally, Fincher wanted Brad Pitt for Avery. Hey. Oh. I, I mean, I can see it. It wouldn't be bad. I can see it. It would have been a different character. Yeah. But Danny Jr. was so unaccustomed to the experience of both Finch. So this is a big deal. So David Fincher's multiple takes and the process of filming digitally that he rebelled against Fincher for having no time to get my shit together in my trailer. And basically, he would leave mason jars filled with urine around the set. Eventually, uh, Downey uh, acquiesced and said, I just decided, aside from several times I wanted to garrote him, that I was going to give him what he wanted. I think I'm a perfect person to work for him because I understand gulags. It's a very Paul Avery move, you know? <laughs> yeah. A uh, couple of other choices for Graysmith. Uh, well, no, 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 no. Gyllenhaal was his first choice. Do you know his second choice was Orlando Bloom? Hmm. We've I never really, we've yeah, never really had a prestige drama with Orlando Bloom where he's been given those, given those uh, room to room to move. He's, I think, Lord of the Rings and Pirates of the Caribbean has firmly cemented Orlando Bloom in the mm. adventure and fantasy genres probably for the rest of his career but then he's very he's very human in in pirates of the caribbean i think yeah. he's got that kind of you know Cha. humble hero quality which i think would have worked here yeah Cha. he can play he can play the innocent sort of uh ingenue yeah. yeah um so there's a lot of disputes about this uh for some reason because grace Smith says that we had him and then uh the agent says that they didn't, and then there's a story in The Hollywood Reporter. But the long and short of it is that Gary Oldman was uh, surrounded in the ballet role, uh, which would have been great, I think. That would have been so cool. Uh, but of course, we did get a Gary Oldman in a Fincher movie. Mank. Puppy. <laughs> uh, another choice for Paul Avery, Daniel Craig. Ah. Now we know mm. how great Daniel Craig is from Mikkel Blomqvist. <laughs> David, have you seen Go the Dragon Tattoo 2011? Uh, I have not seen the 2011 with Daniel Craig. I saw, oh God, what's the one that's... Naomi Rapace. Oh yes. no, did you see Go the Spider Girl in the Spider's Web with Claire Foy? Uh, Was it in English? No, no, The I saw the original... Original uh, Swedish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's been, been well over six or seven years now since I watched it though, which is... A travesty. Yeah. No, no, no. The Swedish films are fine. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> well, you can listen to the podcast on 2011. There are, there yeah. are long, long <laughs> debates. <laughs> and me reckoning with the fact that one of my most rewatched movies. Well, this is the big thing with Fincher. He makes immensely rewatchable movies that are so thrilling. And you could, I could watch Zodiac tomorrow but they are about the most fucked up shit in the world. And, you know, there's, it's bizarre to say, but there is a bit of a detachment societally with murder, but Go the Drunk Tattoo adds serious sexual assault into that as well. And mm -hmm. 
we have this weird detachment with murder. That's an actual conversation that pe that our fans can listen to on the Go the Drunk Tattoo. Is why why is there this conversation about rape in film and not with murder? Why are we detached from murder? Uh, but yeah, no, he makes these incredibly rewatchable movies that I've watched numerous numerous times with some of the most graphic, horrible stuff that has happened in real life and fictional. And uh, that's the that is the paradox. Or maybe I'm just a sicko. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we, we did talk about, like, you know, how this film, like, comments on how everybody is eventually desensitised mm. to it. Yeah. You know, uh, we had the, the comment about all the murders that have happened. You know, this is, this is not a special mm. case by any stretch. And, you know, you realise why these detectives and why these reporters, like, they don't seem to have the same reaction to it and the same can be said for you know us watching it then mm. like after the fact you know David Fincher is almost complicit in furthering the kind of glamorization of mm. these murders you know no matter how sensitively you approach the subject there's always going to be that Hollywood sheen that makes us watch it from like an entertainment lens rather than a my favourite Hollywood sheen is probably Martin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's there's something to be said for the fact that we are kind of surrounded by sort of glamorised images yeah. of killing day to day. We watch murders, um, all, we watch murders all the time. Uh, I remember uh, uh, Brian Fuller talking about Hannibal, his TV series Hannibal, and he was talking about how all the murders in that he had to make creative and fantastical. Because, and he just talks about how he doesn't understand how people can watch Law and Order multiple episodes a week. And it's just not that there's a fun or creative way to stage. Well, there is obviously a fun and creative way to stage murders, as, as we've seen multiple times. Uh, but that thing of, I don't understand people wanting to watch these rape victims and these murder victims on Law and Order when it's just so dry and just, he got shot, she's been assaulted in an alley. And then it's just that for an hour. And he, he made a conscious effort to, with the murders in Hannibal, to make it a bit more fantastical. And of course, with Zodiac, it is the complete opposite. Uh, I mean, being respectful. the truth of a lot of, you know, of murder investigations and, and police work in general is just how mundane it really is, usually. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we expect these, because of Hollywood and, you know, Fincher movies and everything else we expect it to be this glamorous and interesting like investigation and it's really just it's uh, and I think that there's a moment that captured it really well when um uh, uh Grace Smith goes through the police records and you see uh just how many boxes of files there are and it's just it's so much just pouring through paperwork and I think really. that's obviously the big the big older president's men influence is is just I mean, obviously, there's the famous shots in All the President's Men where he, they go through all the library cards and there are just piles and piles and piles and they just zoom up. And it's the first time we hear the score and it's just a plodding piano and it's just, oh, my God, they're here for hours. And knocker doors and run and ringing phones and all that minutia uh, and, and spotlights as well. All, all these great newspaper movies um, do show, as we've just talked about, the hard work. Hair was digitally added to the close-ups of Jake Gyllenhaal's knuckles as he draws or holds letters because David Fincher felt that Gyllenhaal's hands were too hairless and pretty. Oh. 
Jake John Hall does have some lovely hands. He does. Uh, talks with Sony fell through when the studio insisted that the film should not be any longer than two hours and 15 minutes. Uh, Warner Brothers and Paramount agreed to share the production costs, even though a talky film with an inconclusive ending was a tough sell. And as we know, it did not make that money back. I think we talked about it with Benjamin Button. Uh, I think Rian said it could do a trim, but then I go, I cannot see a two-hour version of this movie. I just can't. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I think... it's, it, in the case of Benjamin Button, it was like a whole life had to be condensed. Yeah. So, you know, I was willing to overlook it. A very curious <laughs> life. Uh, Benjamin Button over Forrest Gump, any day. The song that plays at the end of the movie of the credits, Hurdy Gurdy Man, uh, was written and performed, of course, by Scottish performer Donovan. His real-life daughter, Ioni Skye, Plays uh plays the kidnapping plays the plays the cow woman, ah Catherine Catherine Graham, uh, yes, uh, there you go. That's that's a fun fact for you Donovan fans out there, which takes us into tagline rundown. I've been saving this because I think this is one of the best taglines we've ever had, and I could have mentioned it so many times before. There's two average ones based on the story of America's most notorious serial killer. When a series of murders terrorized California, one man took responsibility for them all blah, 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 but this is exceptional. There's more than one way to lose your life to a killer. That is Ooh. one of the most beautiful summations. That is Excellent. just brilliant. <laughs> uh, which takes us into uh, Tom's big question. I've got a couple. I mean, was it Arthur Allen? I mean, there's no, I, 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 I think it was Arthur Allen and then there were other people, there were multiple killers. Yeah. The thing that cements it in my mind is the timeline of the letters. Yeah. And the, I think something so small, but there was a, definitely a reason that they waited till the end of the movie to to bring that to light mm. because it's just irrefutable. Like the fact that in the four years that he was in prison, there was no correspondence. And sure, you know, they had there been, that still wouldn't have ruled Alan out as a suspect in my mind because you know you do get fanatics trying to copy the work and pass things off as their own but the fact that there was literally nothing and then as soon as he comes out of prison you get the first letter in four years like that is just insane birthday everything everything for the birthday um, I know. yeah best supporting performance be outside of our top three David who are you picking Oh, good Lord. Um, oh, gosh. What is the name of the guy who is playing Arthur Lee Allen there at the end? John Carroll um, Lynch. Tom Carroll Lynch uh, does a fantastic job of just being chilling. Um, two scenes. Yeah, and two well, no, scenes. And three, because you see his back when he pulls up, but that's it. And he's just fantastic. And uh, aside from my inability to remember anybody's names, he's just so, the image of him sticks with you. Uh, whether or not you know who he is. And that, that lovely fight we did talk about when we talked about that scene, but I look forward to the day when the police are no longer referred to as pigs and Anthony Edwards. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Just bizarre. <laughs> Wonderfully bizarre. Uh, Rian, who are you going for? Um, not allowed to take John Carroll Lynch. I, I will say I appreciate the, the fact that there are four different Zodiac actors Mm, yes, mm. yes, we've not talked about this, yes. To keep Again, like the yeah. sense of mystery alive and how you know memory can distort certain details. I just thought that was so clever. 
Um, don't know if I have a favorite out of those four because I could not tell them apart. <laughs> I think the Napa guy is a nice sicko. He does very good with his vo very good work mm, with his voice. I don't have his for name sure. for hand, but that is a even a bet. Well, we've talked about it on set and that scene is. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go yeah. for Anthony Edwards. I think I'm going to go for mm. nice. Nice. I think I'm going to go for Anthony Edwards. So wonderful in that uh, paired with Dermot Mulroney. That sort of the, the that police force in the first yeah. hour and a half tracking getting Alan, I think that and and Mullen, everybody in this goddamn movie is excellent. That is what we're trying to say. I think. Yeah, Brian um, Cox yeah. is another one you have to throw out. Uh, just amazing work. There. Jimmy Simpson was good as as older Mike Majot. Excellent. Yeah. Yes. Um, Although I will say, doesn't look anything like uh, Lee Norris playing young. Okay. That's yeah, what confused that's me. And but like, also, it's been day. twelve. Twelve? Uh, no, no, no. It's been thirty it's, years. Yeah, he said twenty-two by the end. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that just threw me for a bit of a loop. But both of them are very effective. Mm, yeah, fair enough. Um, which takes us to I've been saving this. Is this David Fincher's best film? Hmm. I think I would go with no. Mm. Big button head. I think he's very meticulous and I always admired his attention to detail. Mm. And while there is so much of it prevalent here, I think there's others that, you know, explore that more in terms of like character, like social network, you know, Benjamin Button. I think they're just they they really drive home like the importance of character and like mm -hmm. you know latching on to them. Whereas even though we do we do end up connecting with uh Graysmith, you never really get too close because he's so focused on the case. He doesn't have time for a life. He doesn't have time to, you know, develop himself as a person. You know, we can just completely like we completely sideline him because he's so like the case becomes his life. Yeah, yeah. As much as this as much as this movie is a character exploration, it's also an exploration of the Zodiac legend. I think, mm. and that does sort of. I don't know. It's it's subjective whether or not it's his best movie. Obviously, which is why you asked the question. But yeah. I mean, it's um, I think it's a solid. I think it's a solid, fantastic addition. I don't know if. Seven might jump out at me as being seven a rules. Seven is pretty good. So uh, another movie about the darkest shit in the world that the I've watched over movie. fifty times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I'd say Seven probably reeled me in a little yeah. more than this one did, but this is just such an entertaining watch. Uh, great, so I don't know. Great stuff. Um. It's 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 wonderful stuff, and uh, that that is just halfway through Fincher February. So many so many other great movies to talk about. Um, wonderful wonderful stuff. David, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure <laughs> having you. Rian, can't get rid of you. No, you cannot. <laughs> no, you've got. I will be back. You are not literally in a couple of days for Benjamin Button, uh, which uh, yeah, I led a very curious life. Uh, Benjamin, love Benjamin Button. Uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Zodiac. Zodiac, indeed. Big Ringo stands. 
Indeed. Thank you very much. Indeed. Da ba da ba da ba da.